Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Grace Church this evening. It's great to see all of you here on campus. We're glad that you could be with us, honored that you would be here with us on a Wednesday night. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, thank you for being with us as well. We do appreciate you being here. Just want to give you a few announcements. Um, actually, I, I have several. First of all, we want to remind you one more time that Sunday, June 6th, is Academic Awards Sunday. And today is the last day to get your child's awards and achievements into the church office. So if you have not already done that, you should take care of that quickly. Also, uh, Saturday, June 12th, we want to invite all of you to the Wheeler's first anniversary service at Kingdom Church. And our own brother Mark Wheeler will be preaching on, um, on that day. That's Saturday, June 12th at 5 p.m. So you are invited. And then on Sunday, June 6th, Sister Tinney will be speaking in our 11 a.m. service. And then all of you that are able to make Tuesday morning prayer, please make note that Tuesday morning prayer has been dismissed until Tuesday, July 13th. And then finally, the camp season is upon us. So Monday, June 7th, kids camp starts. And uh, parents, if your camper is going to be riding in the van, please, please have them at the church ready to roll for 8 a.m. And if you have any questions about that, you can either contact the church office or see Sister Farrah Bunch. So a lot going on. You can always stay updated with the things going on here at Grace Church via the website by clicking on the events tab or just by uh, opening up the church app. Before pastor comes this evening, I just want to ask you a question. How much do you think you're worth? <laughs> I hear you back there, Sandlin. Not a lot. Well, I'm not talking about your net worth. I'm talking about your self-worth. Don't ever confuse your tangible values, valuables with your value as a person. Because being rich or poor by material standards has absolutely nothing to do with your worth as a person. Two things determine value in life, I've heard it said. First of all, what someone is willing to pay for something, and then who has owned it. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 23, that you were bought with a price and do not become the slaves of human beings. And the, the language that Paul is using there in his letter to the Corinthians, it, it implies ownership. He's saying that Jesus bought you and Jesus paid for you so you belong to him. I want you to think about what that really means for just a minute. You belong to God and Jesus paid for you with his life. The cross proves your value. Nobody has ever paid a greater ransom for anyone or for anything than what God has paid for you. You're not just acceptable, you're valuable. You know, Peter uses the imagery of a, a building project to illustrate your value in 1 Peter chapter 2. He paints this picture of God constructing a building, a stone building, and that stone building represents the church or the family of God. And, and he said, as you come to him, the living stone, he calls Jesus the living stone, he was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. 
Jesus is the living stone. Now watch this. He was perfect, and people still rejected him. Now you may think, if I could just be perfect, or if I could just be better, if I was a better mom, if I was a better dad, if I was a better employee, if I was better at speaking or better at singing or, or better at being organized, if I could just be better, closer to perfection in a certain area, then I would be accepted or acceptable. But folks, Jesus was perfect, and even he wasn't accepted by everyone, yet he was still chosen by God as valuable. You know, you are one of God's chosen and valuable stones, too, because whenever you gave your life to Jesus, you became a building block in God's wonderful, amazing, beautiful plan. So the next time you're questioning your own self-worth, I want you to remember that Jesus thought you were pretty valuable. He thought you were worth his life, and that's really saying something. Amen. Amen. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. Well, good evening, everybody. Great to see you tonight, as always, for Wednesday night Bible study. And I do want to say how much I appreciate and minister to by what uh, our ministry team more oftentimes shares with us on uh, Wednesday evenings and on Sunday morning while they're in the pulpit. I think they do an amazing job leading the service and then the content of what you just heard tonight was excellent and very well done and I uh, appreciate deeply our ministry team. They're amazing men and I thank them for uh, their loyalty and commitment to Grace Church. <clears throat> I'd like to have you stand with me tonight, if you would. We want to bring to you a, a prayer request. And um, we always appreciate the privilege of being able to go to the Lord in prayer. I hope we all appreciate that. But we need to pray for Sister Faye Bradley. It's uh, James and Sarah's family uh, that lives in Lake Charles, Sister Sarah's sister that needs prayer tonight and uh, has fallen and has injured herself very badly, I understand. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer for Sister Faye right now that God would minister to her, shall we? Jesus, we come to you tonight knowing that you're sufficient, that you're able, that you're full of exceeding abundance. And I pray tonight, God, that you administer to Sister Faye, you know, the pain, the discomfort that's going on in her body. And we also know that you're a great healer. And if you, your power and her faith comes together, great things can happen. And we pray, God, that you administer to her, be with her right now. Let the Spirit of the Lord work on her behalf. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight, shall we? Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for that. And you may be seated. Again, great to see all of you. Great to be on campus. And I uh, had a great time at prayer last night. Great turnout for that. And I uh, deeply appreciate that. And I'm thankful again to see all of you. I say this over and over, not because I don't have anything else to say. I say this over and over because I want to say it. 
I appreciate you folks being here on Wednesday night. I'm, I'm very thankful. Let's go to the word of the Lord tonight. Uh, I would like to introduce to you tonight the fourth commandment, the fourth of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. I'd like for you to pay particular attention to the lengthiness of this commandment. And um, we do have some, we do have accountability of these things. God said to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, a manservant, thy maidservant, thy cattle, or thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it or made it holy. My title may not seem to be applicable to this, but you'll see as we traverse along through this study that it is applicable. I want to talk to you tonight about the value of relationships. The value of relationships. Let me begin tonight by asking you a couple of questions. You ever get tired of just thinking about all the stuff you have to do? Remember my mother said one time when I was a kid that I just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, we say that sometimes even to this day. Do you ever bring work home with you? Especially those of you that's been working at home over the past year. Um, now that some are going back to work, are you having a hard time taking work back to work with you and leaving home, home? Do you use the weekend to catch up, bring work home, use the weekend to catch up and so on? You ever feel guilty when you relax, when you're sitting around relaxing? I talked to a man one time that said, I can't relax when I'm at home. That's why we go out of town so much on the weekend. I can't relax when, I, when I'm at home. I'm always doing something, and I challenged him on that, and I said, well, it sounds to me like that's a matter of discipline, uh, even maturity, uh, that you can't relax. If there's any place you'd be able to relax, it should be at home. At least I think that way. Um, so do you ever feel guilty when you relax? If you do, then you're not alone. One in five Americans work more than 60 hours a week. One in five work more than 60 hours a week. Two out of three employees say their job is causing them to unravel. One in 50 feel that they are on the verge of a breakdown due to their job or jobs. Tonight we're going to look at what God has to say about really taking a day off. And that's what this commandment is all about. Now, I'm going to share some things with you that may be not quite what you've always heard traditionally about the Sabbath day or the day that we have set aside as a Sabbath day that we call Sunday. I'm going to share some things with you about that that might go against your traditional 
grain, but I'd rather base what I believe and teach off of what the Bible says than what tradition has to say. <clears throat> to this modern mind that we are so well aware of today, such downtime seems ludicrous that we would ever take time to relax or to use a relationship with God and a relationship with others as somewhat of a conduit uh, through which downtime can occur. Uh, Bill Gates is quoted in Time magazine saying, just in terms of allocation of time and resources, religion isn't very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. I would like to ask Mr. Gates what kind of shape his marriage would have been in right now had he given God a little more time out of his life. I'd like to ask those questions. Garden Dahl said, most middle class North Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. As a result, their meanings and values are distorted. It's interesting that God, notice this tonight, it's interesting that God has more to say about the Sabbath day than he does either murder or adultery. He spends more time in ink on the pages of the Bible with commandment about the Sabbath day than he does about murdering somebody or committing adultery. But I think God knew that we might not take this one seriously, so he expresses his wishes about it very intensely. It is the longest of the Ten Commandments. And in the Glenn Murphy translation, he is saying, This is not a suggestion. I am commanding you to take off, to take a day off every week. I don't want you, your children, your servants, your animals, or your guests to work on the Sabbath day. God makes it clear in the Bible that for human beings to function optimally over the long haul, to maintain an attitude of joy and peace, a positive perspective toward God and other people, and have physical and emotional health, they have to take a break out of their weekly routine. That's what the commandment is saying. It's interesting that an automobile will run longer and better if you keep it on the maintenance schedule recommended by the manufacturer. That's the way it is with human beings as well. The Bible is our owner's manual, if you will, and it says to take a day off every seven days. God told us some 4,000 years ago what production analysts have concluded only recently that reasonably spaced work breaks increase productivity. Statistics show that after approximately 40 hours of work, statistics have shown that after approximately 40 hours of work, concentration levels drop, mistakes increase, and morale takes a nosedive. Even one's health is affected. With workaholics leading the charts, and work-related disorders such as high blood pressure and premature heart attacks. 
So if we refuse to cease from our labors on a regular basis, we will inevitably break, experience the telltale signs of an impending breakdown. So more than ever, more than ever, our bodies need a break. In our technologically advanced society, fewer people experience the physical stress of battered muscles and callous skin. But many, however, experience the emotional stress that accompanies a schedule filled with too many people and too many demands. And they need what God calls a break. So let's talk about the, the, the Sabbath day. Let's put some definition to it. What is it? What is the definition of the Sabbath? The word Sabbath simply means day of rest or to cease. When God created the world, I'll have all of you notice and listen very carefully. When God created this expanse of universe that we know, we can spend six months building a house and we're exhausted. God created all the sun, moon, stars, all of that, the earth, all the stuff on the earth in six days. And even when he was done, he didn't have to rest. I don't believe he was exhausted when he was done. But he abstained. Was there more he could have done? No question. No question. God's creative ability is endless. And as much as we are fascinated by our universe and the earth and all of this stuff about creation, God could have chose to run another three or four days and really blew our mind. But he stopped on six. Not because he was exhausted, but he abstained from work to set a pattern for us. The first six days were good, the Bible said. It says good, it's good. But the seventh day was set apart and became holy, became hallowed. So that's what the Sabbath is. It's a day of rest or to see. So when is it? God says that we're to take a Sabbath every seven days. There's a lot of discussion about this in certain Circles of religion and so on. Suffice it to say the Muslim Sabbath is on Friday. The Jewish Sabbath starts at 6 p.m. Saturday evening and goes to 6 p.m. Sunday evening. It's the Jewish Sabbath. But across the board, uh, Protestants, everyone else pretty much recognizes Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. Not one, one verse, not one verse in the Bible commands us to worship on Sunday. It didn't command worship, it command, commanded cease from work. So why do we do it? It is because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, which is the Lord's day. And so Paul wrote in Romans 14, verses 5 and 6, One man esteemeth one day above another, Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. So what does this mean? The, the New Living Translation says, In the same way some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think that every day is alike. Each person should have a personal conviction about this matter. Those who have a special day for worshiping the Lord are trying to honor Him. So in our definition of the Sabbath, 
we should ask, why is it? The Sabbath is God's antidote to fatigue and burnout. It is a day of recreation, not just recreation. It is recreation. It is a time to rejuvenate oneself. It is not only about time off, but it is also about sacred time with God. It's obvious that cultivating a relationship with God necessitates more than just a weekly check-in. So we're in no way advocating that our only duty and obligation to God is on the Sabbath day. We'll talk more about that in a minute. God calls his people his bride. He refers to the church as his bride. And it's ridiculous to think of trying to build a strong marriage by just visiting for an hour and a half once a week. But one day set aside for God, a whole day that's set aside for God, is irreplaceable. Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, He said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. God said, Six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, and thine ox and thine ass may rest, and the son of thine handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. Some of you may have heard, but I read it a number of years ago, that veterinarians back in the early 1900s when people were using donkeys to plow came up with a realization that if the farmer would give them one day off, they'd get more productivity out of them by working them six days a week, giving them a day of rest, than working them seven days a week. Veterinarians came up with that applied to the donkey. Perhaps some of you have seen film of the early attempts at man flight with mustached gentlemen in their Victorian suits flapping in wing-like contraptions, pedaling belt-driven propellers and bouncing around ridiculously in useless gyrocopters. That kind of stuff is amusing now. It's kind of funny, but they weren't playing or they weren't trying to be funny back then. Many lost their lives in the search for the secret to flight. The reason they look so silly to us today is because they didn't understand. Listen to pastor in this illustration. The reason they look so silly to us today is because these people who tried to come up with all these strange ways to be able to fly, they did not understand the fundamental principle of flight. Today we understand that their flapping and running and jumping was useless. And it wasn't until the Wright brothers learned how to apply Bornoli's principle of pressure differentials using a curved wing edge that take, takeoffs stopped locking or looking like a clown act and the course of human history was changed on December the 17th, 1903 at 10.35 a.m. Before that, those well-intentioned aviators could not have succeeded because they were not dealing with reality. They had a faulty theoretical model, so they could not get their contraptions to fly. If you and I could understand the fundamental model of the Sabbath day, we have lived to see a time where people do everything with the Sabbath day, but what they're supposed to do with it, 
And it's almost become, if it wasn't so tragically sad, it would almost be comical. There is a principle, there is a fundamental principle that the Bible teaches concerning the Sabbath day that humanistically cannot be ignored or denied. It can't. You will not do well if you choose to ignore it. So discovering the meaning of the fourth commandment is a lot like the Wright Brothers' breakthrough. The Sabbath is all about the way God has constructed us. It's the way He created us. In order to function successfully, we must understand its principles and apply them. We have all learned, and we keep trying to do it even though we can't do it. You will never find time for the important things of life. That's why we must make time to do the important things of life. Some people say I spend quality time with my family, not just quantity time. But quality time doesn't always happen when you want it. Simply because people are not always ready for it. It is in the quantity of time that the most quality moments will accumulate. Quality time comes when you least expect it. I've often said, and I've said it several times here lately, with impromptu times of fellowship with people, things you didn't plan. Somebody just say, hey, come over for a cup of coffee or whatever. Sometimes you find those times being more enjoyable and satisfying and fulfilling than the thing you planned a month ago. God has two words for time in the Bible. There's chronos time, which means time governed by the clock. Quantity time, we would call it. And then there's kairos, which means time measured by special moments. Would be quality time, as we would call it. The key is that you have to take advantage of Kairos time at the moment it happens or you'll lose it forever. Watch what the scripture says about quality moments. In Luke chapter 19, the Bible said, And when he, Jesus, was come near, he beheld the city uh, that would be Jerusalem, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because you knew not the time of your visitation. One of the most tragic verses in scripture in my opinion is Acts 24 verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix, who just listened to Paul witness and testify to him, Felix trembled and answered, told Paul to go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. The Bible never recorded that call, if it ever happened. Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, and we quoted it last night, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. Paul said in Ephesians 5, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. I want everybody to understand here tonight that life is not just a destination. We all have heaven in view. 
talked to somebody a good while today about heaven. But there are some things in this life that are important just as well. So life is not just a destination, it's a journey. So listen very carefully. We must all make a conscious effort to keep the Sabbath day on a weekly basis. Listen very carefully. I'm, I'm in the Bible. Those that ignore God's command may end up observing accumulated Sabbaths in the hospital room. I'll add to that with some element of disability, with a broken family, broken kids, and you can put whatever else you want in that blank, just by not abiding by the fourth commandment. Folks, I have seen this all my life. I've seen it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's a quality in people who attends church faithfully and regularly. There's a quality there. It is amazing and astounding when people are faithful. And the reason the children of Israel, and you see it on the screen, the reason they ended up in Babylonian captivity and the length of their captivity was determined by the number of weeks of Sabbath that they ignored. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible said in Leviticus 26, Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate, and you be in the hand, or you be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon. I don't know what to say. Um, I can't particularly explain it. But I think most of you recognize, if you've been here at least most Sundays at Grace this year, uh, I comment continually on how amazing it is to be back on campus. Live stream is not designed for people who are tired and just can't make it to church tonight. It's not designed for that. It's designed for people who literally cannot leave their home for people who are significantly disabled. Um, this is a very hard thing. It's a hard thing. But I've, the Spirit of the Lord has directed my heart, my thoughts, my spirit. I've preached hard in pursuit of people making a higher level of commitment and what have you. It's imperative that we do not ignore God's commandment. And just because Pastor Murphy's teaching this does not lessen it because I'm not a big name preacher that travels around the world preaching and teaching and whatever. We seem to give those preachers more ear than we do our local pastor. This has nothing to do with me per se and who I am and who I'm not. This is the Bible. You can read this whether I'm teaching it or not. The Sabbath day is important to God. And he designed it. It's one of the, it was a part of the creation process. It was as important as everything else he did. And it is not for us to legislate its level of importance or priority. It's not. 
So if God says that a Sabbath is crucial, that it is imperative to renew our relationships, then we must understand how to observe or keep the Sabbath. It is to be holy. The Sabbath is to be a holy day. It's to be set apart. It's to be different compared to the other six days of your week. So how do I keep this day holy? We use it the way God intended for us to use it. I want to give you three things tonight to include in your Sabbath. Number one, it is you use the day to rest your body. People who ignore this, it comes back to bite you after a while. You can look at your medicine cabinet, your doctor's office visits, and all of that. It does. It catches up. The Bible said, the psalmist said, and I don't think this is this should be ignored or, or, or dismissed. He said, it is in vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. This principle is so important that God used himself for an example when he created the world. There are more work-saving devices than ever before, yet people are working harder and longer than ever before. A survey by Inc. Magazine reported that two-thirds of North Americans would agree with the statement, I have burned out or I am on my way to burning out. If you're burning the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. You can get so many irons in the fire that you put out the fire. Our bodies are not built for nonstop work. The wise man said in Ecclesiastes 10:15, "The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city." One translation said, "Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work." There's an old Indian proverb says that you you break the bow if it's always bent. A lot of wisdom in that statement. And again, you say, when I relax, I feel guilty. Let me submit this to you tonight. Jesus relaxed, and he never felt guilty about it. And he accomplished more than anyone has ever accomplished on this planet. Even God took a day off after creation. So let me ask, who are you that you can't take this biblical time to relax? An unwillingness to take a day off is basically saying, I've got so much work to do. I'm so important. I'm holding up the world. Well, let me tell you tonight, you can resign as general manager of the universe. It's not going to fall apart. And reluctance to rest is a sign of immaturity. That's why your kids don't like to go to bed on time when you tell them to. But I've got to get all this done. I've heard people say this all of my life. But Brother Murphy, I've got to get this done. I've got to get this job done. I've got to get this project done. I've got to get it done. I've got to get it done. God said, if I don't care about the deadline every seventh day, if God said that, then you shouldn't work. Because he didn't. And what his project was a whole lot bigger than yours will ever be. Rest will take care of physical fatigue, but it will not take care of emotional fatigue. 
That's why God says you need to do other things on the Sabbath day besides just resting. So the second reason you use the Sabbath day as God intended, you use it as a day to rebuild your emotions. Some of you may remember in school, college, studying this, in the French Revolution, they tried to throw out all of the old laws of France, one of which declared Sunday to be a day of rest. The revolutionaries declared that every day would now be a day of work, but within a few months, they had to rescind that law and reestablish one day off per week. The health of the French people was collapsing, so their idea for more productivity didn't work. The stresses of work drain you, and the pace of your work week keeps you perpetually in a hurry. You need regular doses of inspiration and encouragement to recharge your emotions. So how do you do this? There's three things you include on your Sabbath day. First of all, you include time for quietness. In Psalm 23, the psalmist said, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In our world of noise and pollution, quietness and soul restoration go together. Part of your Sabbath needs to be a quiet time when you get alone with God. I want to say here in passing tonight, and, and I'll do my best to finish this study tonight. I'm going to use some vernacular here that's, I don't, I don't want it to sound disrespectful, but we love the rip snort prayer meetings where we just come in and we've got every devil trembling and we've got the attention of every angel in heaven and God is just pouring out a spirit. We love those kind of prayer meetings. I do. But I value just as much those times on my front porch with a cup of coffee and I'm staring straight ahead and I'm thinking of nothing but of the goodness of God and his blessing in my life. And as I sit there, if I can just sit there for about 10, 15 minutes, I can feel the burden get a little bit lighter and my soul and heart refreshes. And I don't sit there and pound myself with the 9,000 other things that I could be doing. I've learned to discipline myself along that line. The Bible said in Isaiah 30, verse 15, For thus saith the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and you would not, God said. The psalmist said to be still and know that I am God. Many people use the whole weekend to relax and have recreation, but they never have any quiet time, they, and they can't figure out why they're still stressed out when they go back to work on Monday. I know someone today that goes on vacation, and has to take time off when they get back from vacation because they're exhausted. Now that sounds silly and stupid, but that's what the person said. If you don't come apart from all the hustle and bustle of life and stress and all of that, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart in other ways. The second thing you do is you include time for family. The wise man said in Ecclesiastes 9, 9, Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the, of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and thy labor which thou takest under the sun.
He went on to say in Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. You want to live a long time? Then learn how to chill out, relax, and enjoy your family. You're not wasting time. You're not wasting time when you do that. God says it's important time. Half, 50% of North American fathers say they don't spend enough time with their children. The average American parent spends only 17 hours a week with their children, leaving them to be brought up by daycare centers, schools, or worse yet, television and these. Half of our children watch more than two hours of television a day, but 75% of them say that if they could choose between spending time with their families and watching television, they would choose family time. In the United States, substitute care for children is growing 33% faster than the U.S. child population is growing. But God says that family time is not optional. The fallout of this kind of neglect is well documented. We can see it everywhere. You can stick your head in the sand and ignore it. But this is where we're living. Increased drug and alcohol abuse. Kids starting this stuff at 8, 9, 10 years old. Uh, drug and alcohol abuse, crime, promiscuous sexual behavior, depression, suicide. Suicide, the last I read, is still the number one teenage killer. And it's all directly correlated to the condition of their family. A Sabbath day for worship and family time is almost a sure protection against many of these problems. And at Grace Church, we're committed to strengthening families. And that's what this Bible series is about. That's why we don't have something going on every night of the week here at church. You need time to renew your relationships. Now you understand my title. The third thing is to include time for fellowship. Everybody listen. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As a matter of some is. Live stream does not do what gathering here on campus does. It does not. It is not a substitute for being in, in, in church on campus. And I made it very clear to people that cannot be here, we love having you watch. We love having you a part of this church. And we have people that watch consistently every Sunday and Wednesday. But it's not designed for people who are lazy and just a little bit tired and frustrated and you just don't feel like coming. It's not designed for that. The psalmist said in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why did David look forward to the house of God? Because there's rejuvenation that comes by getting together with other believers and we need each other. We need each other. We've all heard the statistics of what quarantine has done to families. We've all heard the, the, the statistics. We, people need fellowship. Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty five said, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered unto himself. One translation said, Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. In the New Testament, Christians did many things together. Everybody say together. The word occurs 31 times in the book of Acts. Along with other phrases like, in one accord. The relationships they forged helped sustain them even through persecution when they were 
been fed, uh, when they were being fed to lions and burned at the stake. Almost all the literature of the last 100 years deals with alienation and loneliness. People need to renew their relationships on a regular basis. So the third reason we need to set aside uh, time for the Sabbath day and to keep it holy is you use the day to refocus your spirit. The most important part of keeping the Sabbath is worship. The act of, turn, of tuning out the world temporarily so we can tune in with God. The psalmist said, oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Worship brings into focus the most important things of life. The tragedy is that many people on their day off take the day off. They use the Sabbath to take care of their physical and emotional needs, but they ignore their most important need. Their spirit is empty and is in desperate need of being filled with God's presence. Jesus said, what would, what would profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? What would he give in exchange for his soul? God wants you to stop every seven days and ask yourself the question, what am I giving my life to? Where are my priorities? Worship is the first thing you need to do on your day off. It is by far the most important. Parents, we need to faithfully model this to our children. Even when you're on vacation, you don't just teach values to your kids. You model them. In his book, It's About Time, Leslie Flynn has a piece entitled, listen to this. If you are 35 years old, if you're 35, you have 500 days to live. If you're 35 years old, you have 500 days to live. His premise is that when you subtract the time spent on sleeping, working, tending to personal matters, hygiene, odd chores, medical matters, eating, traveling, and other time stealers, in the next 35 years, you will have the equivalent of only 500 days to spend as you wish. The psalmist said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. The Bible teaches us to get a life. Novelist Anna Quindlin in her commencement address at Villanova University had some profound things to say about life. Listen to what she said. She said, I'm a novelist. My work is human nature. Real life is all I know. Don't ever confuse the two, your life and your work. The second is only part of the first. Don't forget that what a friend once wrote, Senator Paul Tasangas, when the senator decided not to run for re-election because he had been diagnosed with cancer. No man ever said on his deathbed, I wish I had spent more time in the office. Don't ever forget the words of my father that my father sent to me on a postcard last year. If you win the rat race, you're still a rat. Or what John Lennon wrote before he was gunned down in the driveway of the Dakota. Life is what happens when you are busy making other plans. She said, you walk out of here today to these graduates from Villanova. She said, you walk out of here today with only one thing. And that one else, and that no one else has. There will be hundreds of people out there with your same degree. There will be thousands of people doing what you want to do for a living. But you will be the only person alive who has sole custody 
of your life, your particular life, your entire life, not just your life at a desk or your life on a bus or in a car or at a computer, not just life, the life of your mind, but the life of your heart, not just your bank account, but your soul. People don't talk much about the soul much anymore, she said. It is so much easier to write a resume than to craft a spirit. But a resume is a cold comfort on a winter night when you're sad or broke or lonely and when you've gotten back to the, the test results and they're not so good. So here's what I wanted to tell you today, she said. Get a life, a real life, not a manic pursuit of the next promotion, the bigger paycheck, and the larger house. Learn to love the journey, not just the destination. Life is not a dress rehearsal, or life is not a dress rehearsal. Today is the only guarantee that you get. So the Sabbath day asks the question, is my work or my worship the most important thing in my life? The lifestyle Jesus taught is not a difficult lifestyle. It is the most logical lifestyle. God knows how all of us are made. Jesus said, the thief cometh, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. One of the clearest signs that your priorities are out of order is that you are chronologically fatigued, both physically and emotionally. If your life is like that, the Bible tells you what to do. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the Sabbath day is set aside for our benefit, for our health, for our fulfillment, and for all the reasons that I gave you tonight based on the word of God. Folks, embrace this, embrace it. I'm pleading with you to embrace it and let the Lord talk to your heart. Thank the Lord. Stand with me tonight. And let's pray. Again, it's a pleasure to share the word of God with all of you here tonight. It is a privilege to share the word of God tonight. Let's thank the Lord for loving us, shall we? Jesus, we love you tonight. We're thankful for this privilege and opportunity to break open the bread of life. It is true. It is true. It is true. And I pray, God, tonight that we can embrace the biblical principles that have been shared, that our lives, our families, our church, your kingdom can be better that we can be better and better. Thank the Lord. I pray that we strive to satisfy you, that we could reciprocate your love and faithfulness and devotion to us. I pray, God, that you just help us to love you more. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. We appreciate it so very much, and we'll see you Sunday morning. <clears throat>